Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group. To prepare for our Big Book Study, let's get focused by having a three-minute moment of silent meditation, followed by the fog light prayer. Good evening, everyone. I'm a recovered alcoholic, and my name is Rob. Hey, Rob. I'm a recovered alcoholic, and my name is Chris. Hello, Chris. Thanks for joining us tonight. We're going to start the meditation in just a minute, so please take a moment to get situated. Please turn off all devices that make noise or will distract others for the duration of this meeting. The coffee area will be closed for this portion of the meeting so as to minimize distractions. Also, please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. For the meditations, some suggestions are focus on your breath and posture. Breathe in God and breathe out self. Take this time to get reconnected to God and let the craziness of the day drift away. Ask God to help you stay focused on the step study. So we still got some people trickling on in here. Hey, Michael. Trickle. And uh, we'll just let them have a seat, and then we'll have our monks. friend Barry in the back shut the door, and we'll bring the monks in and turn the lights down. See you in three minutes.
join us for the fog light prayer. If you don't know it, you can just mumble along after Rob. God, God, let your love shine through me like a fog light so those who are lost, sick, and dying can find your love through me. And we have a secretary, and her name is Tanisha. Let's welcome her. Hi, my name is Tanisha, and I'm your recovered alcoholic secretary. Hi, Tanisha. In keeping with the seventh tradition, which states every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions, the baskets are now going around. And I've asked Jennifer to read the recover statement. We read this notice to explain why many people in this group identify as recovered rather than recovering and what it exactly means to be a recovered alcoholic. We are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered, but not cured? That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime. But we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in the body. We are now seeing where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. Thank you, Jennifer. 19 Forest Out. 1940-style Big Book sponsorship from forward to second edition Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sobered at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, came to believe, and experienced is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75% success rate. Here we have CDs, mugs, large print big books, little red books, and big book dictionaries for sale. You can purchase them in cash or also we have Zelle, Venmo, Vimo, (laughs) Venmo, (laughs) and yes, Square. Um, Guess what? If you're not able to contribute in cash as well, you can also contribute through those forms of payments as well. Um, So we meet every Monday promptly at 7.15, and some of us show up at 5.30 to help set up this beautiful room and also the hallway, walking out those beautiful pictures. Um, 6.30 is fellowship, and we ask that you be courteous and ready to begin at the Road to Recovery tune. See you next week. Thank you, Kenesha. From the forward to the first edition of Alcoholics Anonymous, we of Alcoholics Anonymous are more than 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. To show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book and of this group. From there is a solution also from this here big book. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news This book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. This is an open meeting, and as such, all who have an interest in alcoholism and our program of recovery are welcome. 
Because this is an open meeting, you need not identify yourself nor your reason for being here. Your anonymity will be protected. We ask that you protect ours. On the topic of anonymity, this meeting is broadcast out on the interwebs. So if you don't want your voice out there in cyberspace, feel free to pass the mic to your neighbor in the question and answer format or disguise your voice really well. Can we have a show of hands of people joining us for the first time? <laughs> All right. Yeah. Liars. <laughs> this is a nice program. And uh, you're, you're, you're uh, gambling with your sobriety there, gentlemen. <laughs> can, I, can I have a show of hands of recovered alcoholics? Okay. Wow. That's a, that's a bunch of people. It works. Look at that. While this is an open meeting, membership in this group is limited to those who wish to recover from alcoholism and have a desire to stop drinking for good and all. Each member of Alcoholics Anonymous is a potential sponsor of a new member and should clearly recognize the obligations and duties of such a responsibility. Is anyone in need of one of these here big books? Did anyone get through our wonderful greeting staff without one? No? No? All right. No? Ah. We'll take care of you. Before we begin our study of the big book... Last week or two weeks ago, we reviewed Tradition 8. Tonight, we're going to take a quick review of Tradition 9. Please refer to the unabridged big book, the big fatty, to page 562, and the abridged big book, page 177. And here to share his experience is Mr. John. Let's welcome him. He's feeling amazing. Yeah, no, I'm not. Every, time, every Monday I come and I'm sick. I don't know why, but whatever. I show up because I'm supposed to show up. Um, we are on Tradition 9. Um, tradition 9. I'm John. I'm a recovered alcoholic, by the What's way. What's up, John? John. Um, thank you, Chris, for the, I mean, uh, Rob, for the introduction. Um, yeah, of course. Uh, tradition 9. AA is such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible for those they serve. Um, this is the long form. Uh, each AA group needs the least. Oh, is it? Yes. Each AA group needs the least possible organization. Rotating leadership is the best. The small group may elect its secretary, the large group its rotating committee, and the groups of a large metropolitan area, the central intergroup committee, which often employs a full-time secretary. The trustees of the General Service Board are, in effect, our AA General Service Committee, and they are the custodians of our AA tradition and the receivers of voluntary AA contributions by which we maintain our AA General Service Office at New York. <laughs> Excuse me. They're authorized by the groups to handle our, our overall public relations, and they guarantee the integrity of our principal, principal newspaper, the AA Grapevine. All such representatives are to be guided, guided in the spirit of service, for true leaders in the AA are but trusted and experienced servants of the whole. They derive no real authority from their titles they do not govern. Universal respect is a key to their usefulness. Um, I was uh, reading on stuff to expand on this tradition, and I could not find anything else other than... Uh, something that Bill Wilson wrote on uh, the grapevine in August 1948. It's kind of long, so I'm going to, like, flip this thing here like we're supposed to. So it uh, shouldn't be that long, but, yeah, um, it's by Bill Wilson. Um, the least possible organization. That's our universal ideal. No fees, no dues, no rules imposed on anybody. One alcoholic bringing recovery to the next. That's the substance we, of what we most desire, isn't it? But, we, but how shall this simple ideal be realized? Often a question that... We have, for example, the kind of AA who is for simplicity. Terrified of anything organized, he tells us that AA is getting too complicated. He thinks money only makes trouble. Committees only make dimensions, decessions. Elections only make politics. Paid workers only make professionals. And that clubs only coddle sl uh, slippies. 
says he, let's go back to coffee and cakes by cozy firesides. If any alcoholics stray our way, let's look, oh, let's look after them. But that's enough. Simplicity is our answer. Quite opposed to such halcyon, halcyon, simplicity is a promoter. Left to himself, he would bang the cannon and twang the lyre at every crossroad of the world. Millions for drunks, uh, great AA hospitals, batteries of paid organizers, and publicity experts wielding all the latest paraphernalia of sound and script. Such would be our promoter's dream. Yes, sir, he would, back, he would bark. My two-year plan calls for one million AA members by 1950. For one, I'm glad we have both conservative and enthusiasts. They teach us much. The conservative will surely see it, see it that the AA movement never gets over-organized, but the promoter will continue to remind us of our terrific obligations to the newcomer and to those hundreds of thousands of alcoholics still waiting all over the world to hear of AA. We shall naturally take the firm and safe middle course. AA has always violently resisted the idea of any general organization, yet paradoxically, paradoxically, we have ever stoutly insisted upon organizing certain special services, mostly those absolutely necessary to effect so effective and plentiful 12-step work. If, for instance, an AA group elects a secretary or rotating committee, if an area forms an intergroup committee, if we set up a foundation, a general service office, or a grapevine, then we are organized for service. The AA book and pamphlets are meeting places and clubs. I had to look over. Uh, the AA book and pamphlets are meeting places and clubs, are dinners and regional assemblies. These are services, too nor can we secure good hospital connections, properly sponsor new prospects, and obtain good public relations just by chance. People have to be appointed to look after these things, sometimes paid people. Special services are performed. But by none of these special services has our spiritual or social activity, the great current of AA, been re really organized or professionalized. Yet a recovery program has been enormously aided. While important, these, services, these service activities are very small by contrast where the main effort, and I'm dripping, um, sorry, uh, uh, such facts and distinctions become clear, which shall easily lay aside our fears of blighting organization or hazardous wealth. As a movement, as a movement, we shall remain comfortably poor. Thank you, Chris. I'm like, this is gross. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I'm like, not feeling it. Um, I lost my spot. As such facts and distinctions become clear, we shall easily lay aside our fears of blighting organization or hazardous wealth. As a movement, we shall remain comfortably poor for our service expenses are trifling. With such assurances, we shall without doubt continue to improve and extend our vital lifelines of special service to better carry out our AA message to others, to make for ourselves a, a finer, greater society, and God willing to, ensure, to assure Alcoholics Anonymous a long life and perfect unity. Thank you. Thank you, John. In order to help us stay focused as we study the big book, we use the big book study guide prepared by Joe and Charlie and Krusty Cliff of the Dallas Primary Purpose Group. Who do we got reading for us tonight, Rob? I believe it is Kelly. Help so, us welcome Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, they said... I'm not sure. Let's Sounds like a personal look. question. I have this, right? Yeah, it's turned on. It's good? All right. Uh, we are going to start tonight on, uh, our study is going to start on page 10. We're going to start recapping, or sorry, tee up on the bottom of page 8. After the page is read, we're going to ask questions from the podium starting back at the top of page 10. The answers will be one sentence, unless otherwise specified. And multi-part questions <laughs> are simply a one-sentence answer split up by commas, right, semicolons, hyphens, that. and other fun bits 
of punctuation. Basically, in English, what that means is that we're going to read the material once through and then redissect the information a second time through the question and answer format. <coughs> Notice how the language in the questions gives us a new light in which to consider that study material. This is important because hearing the question and rereading the content offers a definite way of comprehending the material covered, if you're paying attention. After we've completed the page, we open up for comments, questions, and observations based on what was just read. If you have spiritual experiences with this information, you are free to share. However, big book study is not therapy. Should you begin sharing about topics which are more appropriately discussed in a different, i.e. sponsorship setting, please do not be offended when Ron cuts that conversation short. For that purpose, we have fellowship meetings before and after our study time. You can never go wrong by commenting on the page, which brings us to the words of one of the co-founders of Alcoholics Anonymous. Sobriety, freedom from alcohol through the teaching and practice of the 12 steps is the sole purpose of any Alcoholics Anonymous group. And we're in the big book on page 10. We didn't start here. Who, who here has been with us since the very beginning of this big book study? In the and beginning. That's, excellent. That's, that's commitment. That's a lot of people. It's been a lot of sessions. Yeah. <laughs> Eight years ago. That's the very beginning. <laughs> He gets brownie points. So we didn't, uh, we didn't just start on page 10, did we? I don't think so. I don't think that was random. Okay. Uh, we started on page zero, and uh, we got our very first promise uh, of how many thousands of men and women have recovered from this thing called alcoholism. Uh, we get into the preface and the uh, forwards, and we get to learn um, a little bit about the beginnings of the fellowship, how the fellowship has grown, some of our early uh, statistics that we have already read. Uh, what effect the book had on the fellowship and some of the introduction to the principles of the Oxford group as well as some of the, the traditions that were introduced to. And after the preface and forwards, we get into the doctor's opinion, which is written by Dr. William Silkworth. He outlines what we're up against when we talk about alcoholism. The threefold illness, the physical allergy makes it so I can't control the amount I drink, I want more. Mental obsession means I can't stay stopped when I stop drinking, when I have good reasons to stay stopped forever, I pick up. And I got this spiritual malady, this restless, irritable, and discontentedness that I feel. And then he talks a little bit about the spiritual solution. We get the Hank Parkhurst story and the Fitz Mayo story at the end. It's like a distilled strong shot of recovery. And we <laughs> kind of covered that one a little bit. And, and, then, and then we get into Bill's story and we get to see it all in action. And so what, what have we seen so far in Bill's story? We're the only ones that will like tie shots of recovery <laughs> back to recovery. Um, so in Bill's story, we get to uh, explore the, the case study of uh, the real alcoholic and how that plays out in his life. And we get to see the progression of the disease, right? Uh, and where he started and, and where the disease took him um, to lead him to his spiritual bottom. And uh, we get to see, um, we are on page 10. So this is right when Ebby Thatcher, who was an old drinking buddy of Bill's, uh, is coming to visit him. And he's learned of his condition that <gasps> he was sober. He hadn't seen him that way in years, right? Last time he heard, Ebby Thatcher had been committed for alcoholic insanity, and he's thinking he's going to reminisce on the good times, maybe share uh, a whiskey with him and, and uh, just reminisce. But uh, turns out that Ebby Thatcher's found religion. So <laughs> Bill is uh, about to learn about the spiritual solution. And uh, for the record, Ebby Thatcher has about two months sober at this point, right? So mm -hmm. he didn't have to wait a full year to start sponsoring anybody or carrying the message. He didn't have to do his 90 and 90 because that wasn't a thing. Uh, he had a spiritual solution, and he had a feeling that maybe this, this Bill character could benefit from uh, as they had that history together. So here he is uh, about to bring him this spiritual solution that he had, he had found. So what do you say we tee up at the very bottom of page 8? At My musing was interrupted, and then we'll power through 10 and start the study at 10. All right. Love it.
Hi, I'm a recovered alcoholic named Kelly. 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 My musing was interrupted by the telephone. The cheery voice of an old school friend asked if he might come over. He was sober. It was years since I could remember his coming to New York in that condition. I was amazed. Rumor had it that he had been committed for alcoholic insanity. I wondered how he had escaped. Of course, he would have dinner, and then I could drink openly with him. Unmindful of his welfare, I thought only of recapturing the spirit of other days. There was that time we had chartered an airplane to complete a jag. His coming was an oasis in this dreary desert of futility. The very thing, an oasis. Drinkers are like that. The door opened, and he stood there, fresh-skinned and glowing. There was something about his eyes. He was inexplicably different. What had happened? I pushed a drink across the table. He refused it. Disappointed but curious, I wondered what had got into the fellow. He wasn't himself. Come, what's all this about, I queried. He looked straight at me, simply but smiling. He said, I've got religion. I was aghast. So that was it. Last summer, an alcoholic crackpot. Now I suspected a little cracked about religion. He had that starry-eyed look. Yes, the old boy was on fire all right. But bless his heart, let him rant. Besides, my gin would last longer than his preaching. But he did no ranting. In a matter-of-fact way, he told how two men had appeared in court, persuading the judge to suspend his commitment. They had told of a simple religious idea and a practical program of action. That was two months ago, and the result was self-evident. It worked. He had come to pass his experience along to me, if I cared to have it. I was shocked but interested. Certainly I was interested. I had to be, for I was hopeless. He talked for hours. Childhood memories rose before me. I could almost hear the sound of the preacher's voice as I sat on still Sundays, way over there on the hillside. There was that proffered temperance pledge I never signed. My grandfather's good-natured contempt of some church folk and their doings. His insistence that the spheres really had their music, but his denial of the preacher's right to tell him how he must listen. His fearlessness as he spoke of these things just before he died. These recollections welled up from the past, and they made me swallow hard. That wartime in that wartime day in old Winchester Cathedral came back again. I had always believed in a power greater than myself. I had often pondered these things. I was not an atheist. Few people really are, for that means blind faith in the strange proposition that this universe originated in a cipher and aimlessly rushes nowhere. My intellectual heroes, the chemists, the astronomers, even the evolutionists, suggested vast laws and forces at work. Despite contrary indications, I had little doubt that a mighty purpose and rhythm underlay it all. How could there be so much of precise and immutable law and no intelligence? I simply had to believe in a spirit of the universe who knew neither time nor limitation, but that was as far as I had gone. With ministers and the world's religions, I parted right there. When they talked of a God personal to me who was love, superhuman strength and direction, I became irritated and my mind snapped shut against such a theory. To Christ, I conceded the certainty of a great man, not too closely followed by those who claimed him. His moral teaching, most excellent. For myself, I had adopted those parts which seemed convenient and not too difficult. The rest I disregarded. 
the wars which had been fought, the burnings and the chicanery that religious dispute had facilitated made me sick. I honestly doubted whether, on balance, the religions of mankind had done any good. Judging from what I had seen in Europe and since, the power of God in human affairs was negligible. The brotherhood of man a grim jest. If there was a devil, he seemed the boss universal, and he certainly had me. But my friend sat before me, and he made the point-blank declaration that God had done for him what he could not do for himself. His His human will had failed. Doctors had pronounced him incurable. Society was about to lock him up. Like myself, he admitted complete defeat. Then he had, in effect, been raised from the dead, suddenly taken from the scrap heap to a level of life better than the best he had ever known. Had this power originated in him? Obviously, it had not. There had been no more power in him than there was in me at that minute, and this was none at all. All right, should we stop there and begin our study? Okay, and uh, you want me to run? Sure. Okay. All right. We are going to, uh, for those of you who... For those of you who haven't been here in a couple of weeks, we have uh, a new-ish format we've been doing for a few weeks, but uh, we're going to do the study, and at the end of each paragraph, we're going to open it up for uh, questions, experience, thoughts, uh, at the end of each paragraph, so... Uh, We are starting on the top of page 10. Was Bill interested in what Ebby had to share? Two sentences. I was shocked. All the way up. Not the start of a paragraph. Oh. I know, confusing. I cared to have it. I was shocked, but interested. Certainly, I was interested. Why would Bill be interested? I had to be, for I was hopeless. All right. We're going to do the next paragraph since I was truncated. Uh, Next paragraph. Did Ebby have just a few words for Bill? He talked for hours. What did Ebby's sharing do to Bill? This question is answered by the rest of the paragraph. Childhood memories rose before me. I could almost hear the sound of the preacher's voice as I sat. On still Sundays, way over there on the hillside, there was that preferred temperance pledge I never signed. My grandfather's good-natured contempt of some church folk and their doings. His insistence that the spheres really had their music, but his denial of the preacher's right to tell him how he must listen. His fearlessness as he spoke of these things just before he died. These recollections welled up from the past. They made me swallow hard. Very cool. All right, so that's the end of that paragraph. We're going to open the page for comment before we continue. Uh, Does anybody have experience with with this sort of thing? Anybody not really willing to listen until they experienced hopelessness and then they were interested because they were hopeless? Is that a hand to share? Okay. Recovered alcoholic Mike Chase. Hi, Mike Chase. I think it's important to start off and mention that Ebby wasn't there bringing the message of Alcoholics Anonymous to a person who reached out for help. Ebby was there on the spiritual mission of bringing another person to Jesus Christ. He had known that by bringing people to 
JC that he was able to stop drinking. So it wasn't AA. This was the Oxford group stuff. So it wasn't like a God of your own understanding or it was like, so I got Jesus in my life. Do you want him too? And Bill was like, not really. You know, he wasn't. And we're going to find out in these next pages why he was agnostic towards the whole religion of somebody else's conception being pushed upon him and how that made him react to it. I like to think of this whole next page as watching somebody else's struggle with their agnosticism and being able to relate to it because I came into it that same way. And it's not like we're waiting for we agnostics to deal with the God thing. We're dealing with it right here in Bill's story. We're reading through it and we're watching him, his arguments just sort of melt away. So when it finally comes to the end of this reading, it's like, Okay, I have no choice, which is really interesting. But it's not AA. This is, this is the Oxford group. It's like we're going down in the corner after this. We're going to hold some signs, and we're going to start ministering <laughs> to strangers. After this, you're going to go down to Wall Street and talk to your buddies, and you're going to be passing out pamphlets to people. And Bill was like, I don't think so. But imagine how hopeless he was because he didn't have AA to go to. There was nothing for him. Mm. So thanks. Thanks for sharing. Thanks, Mike. There's a note in the book here that says, uh, notice the word denial in this paragraph and how it is used. This is the only place this word is used in the basic text. You will, however, find insanity and insidious insanity used several times. And I think that's a, that's a word that's brought up a lot in the fellowship, but this is just highlighting this is the only place that it seems to be brought up in the basic text. Uh-huh. All right. Should we, uh, anybody have anything else on this paragraph? Should we continue with the study? No, I can definitely relate to, uh, oh, I didn't see we had one here, the, you know, the good-natured contempt of some church folk. Mine wasn't really good-natured. Uh, there was definitely some contempt there. But, you know, as we read in We Agnostics, my experience was more, you know, I was, uh, I missed the beauty of the forest because I was distracted by a few of its ugly trees. And so I would see, you know, the things that these church people were doing, you know, in my childhood. And I'd be like, well, if this is what this, you know, religion is all about, why would I want to be a part of that? I can definitely relate to Bill's agnosticism in these pages. And I, I think it's significant, too. I, I've always thought about this as, like, his grandfather is on his deathbed, and he's, like, denying God. And I feel like that left an impression on Bill from what he's saying. It's like his fearlessness as he spoke of these things just before he died. It's like, I mean, if you're a kid and you watch your grandfather die and he's denying God on his deathbed, that's going gonna, that's gonna to leave a mark, you know? What's there to be afraid of, but... As we can see, he shifted out of that. Do we, we have another one? I, oh, we're, we're just picking up the reading? If you want oh, okay. to. Yeah. Very cool. Um, so, next paragraph. This is a short one. We're going to have a lot of shares on this. Besides Bill's childhood, what else did Ebby's talking remind Bill of? That wartime day in old Winchester Cathedral came back again. All right. Does anybody have anything on this paragraph? My, my understanding is, like, well, isn't Ebby the one whose last name was on the tombstone outside of Winchester Cathedral at the beginning of this? Right. The, yeah. the last name was Thatcher, and that's where he recognized it and saw that little in, in inscription on it, which was at the beginning of this story. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Uh, what was can... the first name, Mike Chase? You remember? Huh? The, the Hampshire Grenadier. What's the wartime day?
Mike's going to set us straight. <laughs> Not really, but it, it, it wasn't, that was, really had nothing to do with the spiritual experience he experienced that day. Bill had never, ever walked into a cathedral of the majesty of a Winchester Cathedral. He walked in there, and the place is extremely overpowering. And for a few moments, he was overwhelmed in astonishment and awe, because that's what the things are died to, to inspire. But then he remembered the three women walking into the pub across the street, and he decided to sneak out the back door, cut through the cemetery. That's where he saw the, tomb. the, the tombstone, saw that. His best friend's last name was Thatcher. That was, and then he went off to the pub to, like, talk to the dollies. But his, this is the, Bill had not been raised spiritually. He did not have, his family sort of scoffed at religion. So for him to go into this church was like a first spiritual experience. But then otherworldly clamors quickly pulled that spiritual away, i.e. girlies, and away he went. Now, who can relate to that? All right, next paragraph. What had Bill always believed? Two sentences. I had always believed in a power greater than myself. I had often pondered these things. Was Bill an atheist? I was not an atheist. It says to skip the next two sentences, but for continuity, I'll read them. Few people really are, for that means blind faith in the strange proposition that this universe originated in a cipher and aimlessly rushes nowhere. My intellectual heroes, the chemists, the astronomers, even the evolutionists, suggested vast laws and forces at work. Despite contrary indications, what did Bill believe? I had little doubt that a mighty purpose and rhythm underlay all. What did he ask himself? Oh, yeah. How could there be so much of precise and immutable law and no intelligence? Was Bill an agnostic? Last two sentences. I simply had to believe in a spirit of the universe who knew neither time nor limitation, but that was as far as I had gone. All right, so the page is open for comment. Anybody have experience with this paragraph? So this is uh, like Bill pontificating about his religious beliefs and kind of going back and forth. We got a we got a hand. All right. I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Barry. What's up, hey, Barry? Barry? And uh, I can certainly relate to you know Bill's thought process and where he's at here. He's um, you know got this internal dialogue and this this confusion concerning um, you know his old spirit or. His old beliefs, his outdated spiritual beliefs, and and what is coming to be, and what he's starting to wrap his head around, and that for me is uh, is definitely something that um, that it just sticks out because to me now it seems clear. Um, you know, growing up and growing up Catholic, it was it was raised you know a certain way, and uh, I'm not saying you know that that my God is that much different from from what it used to be, but it is just a clearer, clearer spiritual situation, I, I guess I could say. But in this part, things are, you know, starting to appear for him, and they're starting to become clear, and he's starting to understand what he needs to do. So thanks for sharing. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, I, I can definitely uh, relate to, to Bill's thought process here. You know, when I was um, in high school and I, 
I thought, and I don't know if anyone can relate to this, that my intelligence was the alpha and omega, mm-hmm. right? And like I was always the, the science and math person that, you know, if you couldn't prove to me that God existed by science or math, then, you know, I did, you know where's your argument, right? And I would get into those lengthy uh, discussions and, and whatnot. And that was, you know, my, my human intelligence is the alpha and omega, which, by the way, came from God. And, um, you know, as I got sober and, and I got on the spiritual path and I, I got to do some, some stuff uh, in recovery, that, like go back to school and not to, to get a degree or any of that because I'm too lazy for that, but just to study um, things that I was interested in. I started studying um, biology and anatomy and things like that that interested me. And, and looking back, you know, from where I was in my journey, and we're, we're in this class, and, like, here we are in, like, I don't know, when, it, when I was taking these classes, maybe 2014, 2015, like, you know, thinking we're at the scientific pinnacle right now, um, or at least in my eyes, like, where we are. It's like, how much more could we actually discover? Um, but we're, they're talking about all of these different processes that occur on the cellular level. And, um, you know, you can even go further than that into the quantum physics, but like all these different things that happen and all these little error checkers that, that go on within DNA and all these little, you know, trillions of processes that happen without me doing anything at any point, how much we know about that. And then how much we still don't know about that, where they go. And then some crazy magic happens that we have no idea about. And, uh, you know, I'm just like, oh, it's God, you know, he's in there and it's like, we are, are brains that he designed can comprehend so much but there's still so much that it's just like that precise and immutable law that you know i use science to refute the existence before and then you know today because of where i am in my journey it's like that just deepens my faith and like wow we really got a master architect out there Mm. anybody else have experience or want to share on this barbie recovered alcoholic So the beginning of this paragraph, I had always believed in a power greater than myself. I had often pondered these things. I was not an atheist. And when I first got sober, I always had like that fundamental idea of God also growing up Catholic, you know, doing everything Catholic. But like the God that I knew was like this punishing God. Like if you sin, you're going to hell. You know, when I got sober, it was the kind of hell that I'd put myself through and that just even while I was sober without these steps, without God in these steps, I would never want to go through that again. But like when I started to do that and I started to separate them, like later in the book, it talks about how we can laugh at those who think spirituality the way of weakness, but paradoxically it is the way of strength. And like, I found that as soon as I changed that, like I just, I took that fundamental idea and I made it my own. Like I make my sponsees today, like when they sit there and they say they have a problem seeking God, I make them write a list. So tell me, what characteristics do you think your God has? And then afterwards, I tell them, so you think you have problems seeking God, but you were seeking God when you were writing that list because you had to seek what characteristics your God has. You know, because like the strength that I get to draw from God and just that little bit of idea that there's something greater than me means I'm not thinking about me. You know, and that's kind of like all I have. Awesome. Thank you for sharing. sharing. Yeah, human beings have this need to worship, this need to seek, and seek something greater than ourselves, I believe, and and that was kind of my experience. I went to a Catholic high school, and I remember I used to get in trouble for skipping the mass that we had after school, and I went with one of the kids there that was Muslim, and we went and and smoked and did other things, and uh, 
And I, I remember, that's how I looked at it, like, these guys are silly, man. Like, I'm tapped into the source right here, right now, you know? And, but I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm making fun of them for worshiping God, but then what am I worshiping? I'm worshiping, you know, the uh, business and financial leaders or my heroes. Or For me, it was like gangster rappers and that sort of thing. But mm-hmm. it, whoever you're worshiping, it's, some, it's something. It's that same kind of religious spiritual impulse and seeking and then i channeled it into maybe i'm just worshiping my own mind and my own thinking and that leads to alcoholic insanity so amen thank god for for this path we got a path through it anybody else on this paragraph Uh, there's a comment in the book it says an atheist is defined as a person who denies the existence of god an agnostic is defined as a person who accepts the concept of God, but denies his involvement in human affairs. Uh, next paragraph. Where did Bill draw the line when it came to religions? With ministers and the world's religions, I parted right there. What was Bill's attitude when somebody wanted to talk about God? When they talked of a God personal to me who was love, superhuman strength, and direction, I became irritated and my mind snapped shut against such a theory. All right. That is the full paragraph. All right. Does anyone have anything on this paragraph? It's, this is kind of like the, uh, the I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. Like I'm willing to go to yoga, but only because <laughs> there's a cute girl there, you know. Yeah, do we got a hand? Yeah. I just want to go back to the... we With ministers in the world's religions, I parted right there when I talked of God personal to me who has loved superhuman strength and direction. I became irritated. My man snapped shut. Was a, he's still pushing it back against the Oxford definition of Jesus and, and the Christian uh, evangelical thing that was going on back then. In the previous paragraphs, we realized that he's, he's, he's open to the... God of your own understanding, higher power, God universe type stuff. But the specific one religion's push onto Christianity was just, that's just, he wasn't going down that road yet. Thank you. Oh, either was I. <laughs> yeah, you, it's going to say later in working with others, you can use any conception you want as long as it makes sense to you. So, and that's a good thing to, to know if you're trying to sponsor Yeah, I think we're going to get to that here shortly shortly in Bill's story, too. Yeah, absolutely. So, anything else on this paragraph? Should we continue with the Q&A? Let's continue. Okay. We're at the top of 11, right? Yes. Okay. Top of 11. Uh, What was Bill's attitude regarding Christ? To to Christ, I can... (laughs) Uh, To Christ, I can say to the certainty of a great man. Not too closely followed by those who claimed him. How did he feel about Christ's teachings? His moral teachings, most excellent. Was he a follower? For myself, I had adopted those parts which seemed convenient and not too difficult. The rest I disregarded. All right, that's the end of that paragraph. Anyone? Have, we got Kelly up front. Hi. Hey, Kelly. I was waiting for this one. Hi, a recovered alcoholic named Kelly. Hey, Kelly. Hi. Um, I, you know, I recall when my alcoholism was escalating and my life was becoming more and more unmanageable, and I had yet to find out what was actually wrong with me. I was raised in church, um, but I was raised 
when my parents split, Baptist, Presbyterian, Catholic, I was all mixed up. So I had, you know, this idea of God, and also to me, he was also a punishing God. And when my life would get really, really uncomfortable, I would have the idea to go to church. We need to go to church. Like, things are getting really bad here. I need to go to church. And we would go to church, and I would choose a uh, non-denominational. So, you know, it still followed the readings of the Bible and spoke of Jesus. And, but what would happen, you know, I, I understood the teachings, and I, I, I adopted the parts which seemed convenient and not too difficult. Like, I liked the fact that I was forgiven for all mm-hmm. of my sins. The rest I disregarded, because what would happen is I would go to church, and I would love what the, the pastor was saying until he would say, until he would give me direction for my life and what I had to do. And I was like, nope, I can't do that. I'm not willing. You know, it was the same thing with my drinking. I was not willing to go to any lengths. You know, I would hear the pastor say, well, you have to put God in front of your relationships first or they're not going to work. I was like, well, that's too late for that. I'm already married. And, you know, we never did that. And I would get all this direction. And... <laughs> You know, and I and my mind would snap shut. I wanted to go there to feel good, but I wasn't willing to take the direction. You know, and and thank God for the the, the program of Alcoholics Anonymous and the Twelve Steps because I now have a, a God of my understanding. You know, and my mind's not snap snap shut. Like I understand the power, and I am willing to follow the directions. But I very much understand that part. You know, I adopted the parts which were convenient to me. I even got baptized. But then I wasn't willing to do what was uncomfortable for me. And it's the same thing with an Alcoholics Anonymous program. You know? That's it. Thank you. Thanks for sharing. Anything else? I was going to say, I've seen the same thing happen uh, to Kelly's point with with those coming in and out of the rooms, you know? Do the one, two, three shuffle. Yeah. you know, stay away from a drink or a drug for a short time and, you know, do that first, second, and third that don't require any real work, just thinking steps. And then, uh, oh, <laughs> that fourth step, I'm going to have to do something. I'm going to have to get uncomfortable, maybe grow, uh, continue with this program, you know, and, and obviously that doesn't work out if you're the real alcoholic. And, mm. and definitely relate to that on any given day, you know, taking and picking and choosing the parts of the program, which are, you know, working for me that day, but. I'm the one that pays the spiritual price tag if I'm not working all these principles. Yeah. I remember being in, uh, I had just detoxed in a hospital psych ward, and we were talking to the, the hospital chaplain. She came in, and it was, a, it was a lady chaplain, and she was talking about God and talking about forgiveness, and we were just having a, a discussion about the philosophy of, of everything. And I was like, she was talking about how we could be forgiven. You know, I want you all to know that you can be forgiven for the things you've done wrong. And I was like, you know. I know I'm forgiven. This is like years before I was there. I was like, I feel like I'm forgiven for things before I even do them. And, uh, <laughs> so that's talking about picking and choosing and then, and then disregarding everything that's inconvenient. Yeah, it's a good... Very cool. Anyone else on this one? Here we go. Hi, I'm Marina, recovered alcoholic. Hey, Marina. So um, I grew up without religion. Um, Actually, religion really scared me, and it wasn't until that I hit my complete rock bottom that I figured, 
Well, maybe the fact that I don't have religion is the reason that my life is completely unmanageable and I'm basically dying. So um, that's when I started attending a Christian church, and it completely, um, it just, I felt like I did not belong. But something in my heart told me, like, I needed God to, like, fix me. But um, after attending for a little while, I just, I stopped going, and the whole concept of Jesus just scared me so bad. But ironically, I found AA, and (laughs) through the work, you know, God is all over the steps. So it brought me exactly where I needed to be. And now, you know, I attend church regularly, and I serve, and I'm very, like, involved in the community. So it's just funny how, you know, through my story, like, the cycle that we go through, but it brings us exactly where we need to be. So that's all I got. Thanks for sharing. Absolutely. Thanks for sharing. All right, let's go on to the next paragraph here. What made Bill skeptical or agnostic? The wars which I which had been fought, the burnings in I cannot say that word. <laughs> the religious dispute had facilitated made me sick. What was Bill's attitude toward religion sorry, toward organized religions? I honestly doubt it whether on balance the, the religions of mankind had done any good. Judging from what he had seen, Bill believed what? Judging from what he had seen in Europe and since the power of God in human affairs was negligible, the brotherhood of man, a, a grim jest. Who did Bill believe was the boss of the universe? If there was a devil, he seemed the boss of the universe. And he certainly had me. All right. This paragraph is open for comments, questions, experiences. Well, I I think it's interesting, actually. I think I just noticed this for the first time, but Bill is kind of, he's saying that the burnings and chicanery that religious dispute had facilitated. So disputes over the nature of God and like there was the Inquisition and they burned people at the stake and, and all the burning of heretics and different things. And then he's turning around and, and using actually what I'd seen in Europe, the power of God in human affairs is negligible. Brotherhood of man is a grim jest. So he's using the absence of God that came forth in the, in the 20th century and like the Nazis and, and the communists as like an example of like, well, God has forsaken us. And, you know, but he's also pointing to the church and saying, well, well, God's no good when, when he's there. He's no good when he's not there. And I just think that's, that's interesting. You know, it's almost like he's mad at God and he doesn't even really understand it. A hand? <laughs> Hi, this one, this one allowed me to challenge my conception of God. What was, my, what was God's role in my life at this point in time? This, I love this part of the book because it's allowing me to really exp- look at what do I really think this whole God thing's about. At this point in time, or at one point in time, God was my cosmic bellhop anything I wanted he was supposed to give to me, the cosmic Santa Claus, the keeper of peace and love, the, the, um, the controller of people's desires and emotions, and, and, and that's not the conception of God that I got, you know? God gives us all free will, and unfortunately, he gives that jerk next to me free will, and he can do what he wants, and we're not a bunch of little 
minions locked in boxes, you know, with no ability to go out and make mistakes. And I like that about God that he just gave me the power to do the right thing if I choose to do the right thing, to be a good person. But he doesn't force me to be a good person. Good news is God doesn't make everybody be good. Bad news is God doesn't make everybody be good, and shit's going to happen, and it's going to go against my belief structures. People are going to get hurt. When a village is destroyed by a tsunami, I don't say, oh, God was mad at them folks. Wonder what they've been up to, you know? God has set into place a series of events that life just happens. Shit happens. Where does God show up in a tsunami situation? A little bit later when the village up on the hill comes down and starts helping people. That's where I started seeing the conception of God. When I started seeing people in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous reaching out to the real sick ones and helping them and stuff like that. So this whole page is nothing more than than Bill's sneaky, sneaky way of challenging me to open up and think differently about what God's role in my life and other people's lives is. And he does it so magically because he's not pointing his finger at me going like, Mike Chase, you're crazy, you're nuts, and you got to think this way. He allows me to experience it through Bill's eyes. Okay. And going, that guy's crazy and nuts. He's thinking way, <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> which is the way he does that. So thanks. Thanks for sharing. Uh, Andre, recovered alcoholic. Hey, Andre. Um, I, I was just noticing. Um, I don't. I don't know if it ever stood out to me, but um, it, it appears that these are kind of just the thoughts that he's having as he's sitting there with uh, with Abby. Like this is what's going through his mind as he's you know sitting there with the guy. And um, you know, I guess just to bring it back to this uh, paragraph, um, you know, um, I didn't really think about God at all. Um, I didn't have these kinds of intellectual thoughts or anything. You know, my family they never we never went to church. You know, that was we didn't do that. Um, you know, it was kind of just, you know, we kind of just did our thing without, you know, any thoughts of God. You know, I, I would think about it every now and then, but, you know, I kind of thought about them like, you know, Santa Claus for adults, um, you know, and all these things, you know, that, um, that we tell people and, um, you know, that there just weren't any thoughts. And I guess, um, you know, I didn't have any, any big feelings either way, negative or positive. Towards the whole concept. So I came in here pretty open-minded, um, you know, because I, I never established any, uh, any real feelings about it um, before I walked in here. Um, except that time I was in jail, you know, and, uh, you know, pretty much they, you, 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 don't, you only get to really read the Bible that much and uh, kind of read a little bit, you know, just trying to find some, uh, you know, some freedom, you know, because it kind of sucks when you're locked up. Um, that was the closest I got to, to the Bible. So that's it for me, guys. Thanks. Thanks for, Thanks for sharing. I'll say a little bit. Can you, you do the same to? thing in your hotel room? He's going to. Mine's very good. You want to go? Grace, recovered alcoholic. Hey, Grace. Um, so when it talks about the wars which had been fought, the burnings and chicanery that religious dispute have facilitated made me sick. I also felt that way um, when I was younger. I was raised Catholic, and in order to be allowed to stop going to church, which I begged and pleaded to, um, I had to write a three-page paper at the age of about 11 on why I didn't want to be Catholic anymore. And um, I, the reasons that I listed were um, human reasons, just like how um, the wars that have been fought by humans, not God, 
the burnings and chicanery, humans, not God. Um, this was, like, these events occur because of our own, like, um, more, our own failings and just the human condition. And um, to me, um, God is a very central part of religion, and we must be quick to see where religious men are right. Um, but uh, religion, um, God is necessary is a necessary part of religion, but religion is not a necessary part of God to me. Um, I find God in the rooms. I see God when I um, give a homeless person a hug after they ask for a dollar. And I give a dollar, obviously, but you know what I mean? Like, um, I, I don't see God in the crosses or anything, but that is also to each their own. Um, and I use these reasons of bias against religion to create a bias against God. Um, because I thought the two were intertwined, like they couldn't be separated. And um, I'm very grateful that I was wrong about that. Mm. And um, that, um, and he said, I honestly doubted whether on balance the religions of mankind had done any good. You know, that's um, up to personal opinion. But I I, I believe that like God's plan overall is for us to be happy, joyous, and free as long as we live with him. And that um, I used to use God as, like, a drug or, like, foxhole prayers, like, as needed. You know, um, just get me out of this one. I'll stop or whatever, you know, something like that. But in reality, God now to me is like oxygen. Like, he is always with me and is necessary to, like, my life. And um, I um, talk to God when I'm grateful and when, when I'm upset and when I just noticed that, like, oh, I'm content right now, and you know why? Because of him. And um, just that, um, yeah, I'm grateful that um, I was able to be, to gain a, I, oh, I was kind of agnostic before, but I'm really grateful to the program of AA that I've been able to um, improve upon and really grow and see my relationship with God blossom. And um, that's all I got. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks for sharing. sharing. Hi, Reco uh, Kelly, recovered alcoholic again. Hey, Kelly. Hi, Kelly. I love here where he is, you know, bucking and fighting and having this closed-minded stance against, you know, whether God was any good or if he was there, if he was any good when he wasn't there, and blaming all of these happenings and affairs and stuff, you know, on 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 God or lack of God, but at the end he's like, if there was a devil, he seemed boss universal. He certainly had me. And he's like, there's a devil. He's got me. He's got that belief. He, you know, he's solid in that. And I, I have had chance to talk to a lot of people that were either fighting, working the steps, fighting. I can't find God. I don't find God. I don't want to believe in a power that greater than myself. And because I, I, I am blessed enough to be able to work around a lot of people early in recovery, I see time and time and time again that this God idea or the unwillingness to seek a God inevitably takes people out over and over and over and over again. And here's the thing. It says in the back, like the whole point of this, this book and working the steps is to have a spiritual experience, right? And in the back of the book, what it made me think of is at the end of spiritual experience, and this is what I tell people that want to fight with the idea of God or whether he exists or with the power, whoever, however you conceive him. You know, it says there's a principle which is a bar against all information. 
which is proof against all arguments and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. And that principle is contempt prior to investigation. So, you know, my, my advice is always just try. Just try even if you have a problem with it. You know, I spoke to a young lady on the phone that has almost two years sober last night. A mess. A mess. And you're not going to believe it was over a relationship. It was. No. You know, but, <laughs> and I asked her, I, I, I said, where, where is your relationship with your higher power? <sighs> I said, what, what step are you on? She said, four. I said, woman. I said, you haven't, you know, done the work. To, to get to that spiritual experience, to find that power greater than yourself. And, you know, and I, and I suggested that she um, hit her knees and say the third step prayer, you know, to try to get herself out of this way of thinking. And it's so crazy about an hour later, she, she called and she's like, that really comforted me. It worked. She goes, I said it over and over again until tears came to my eyes. And it was just such a beautiful thing. You know, we want to blame God for all of the terrible things that happen in life. But God didn't make me pour vodka down my throat. You know? He didn't make me do any of this stuff. You know? I just, I just, I, I, I find it kind of ironic that, you know, he's doubting and disputing God, but the devil he's real pretty much sure of. <laughs> he's got me. Leave it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thank you for sharing. That, that reminds me of uh, a quote Carl Jung we're going to see in the next chapter, which is there is a solution. Carl Jung has an awesome quote, which is that in order for a tree to reach toward heaven, its roots must reach down toward hell. And so, like, you can kind of orient yourself toward God and toward the goodness by realizing the reality of evil, you know, like, because we've all seen some evil if we've been out long enough. So it's like, hey, what's the opposite of that? Yeah. Um, all right. So we have anything else on this or should we? Should we finish the question and answer? We're getting close to the end here. Got your All right. Down. Looks like it. We're on page 11, midway down. What did Ebby declare to Bill? <clears throat> but my friend sat before me, <clears throat> and he made the point, blank declaration that God had done for him what he, had, what he could not do for himself how well had ebby's willpower served him his human will had failed what hope had the doctors given ebby doctors had pronounced him incurable what was about to happen to him society was about to lock him up what had they both done like myself, he had admitted complete defeat. What had then happened to Ebby? Then he had, in effect, been raised from the dead, suddenly taken from the scrap head to a level of life better than the best he had ever known. And since this is the last little paragraph, we'll just finish it off. Uh, had Eddie accomplished this miracle by his own willpower? Two sentences. Had this willpower originated in him? Obviously, it had not. Had Ebby shared the same level of powerlessness that Bill was experiencing? There had been no more power in him than there was in me at that minute. And this was none at all. All right. This last section here is open for comments, questions.
questions, experiences? You know, we're talking a lot about like, you know, the, the wrestlings of the God idea and specific religions, you know, as we know that Ebby's bringing uh, a specific religion here uh, to Bill. This was always one of the things that I had a personal uh, issue with was the resurrection, right? I was talking about um, how if it couldn't be proved by science or math, then I didn't want any part of it. And I'm like, well, I've never seen anyone brought back from the dead, you know, and, and how did this and, and whether or not, you know, I'm supposed to. Uh, believe that literally or figuratively like I've experienced it in my life as a result of the program that uh, I have been brought back from the dead and it, and it's the same thing that it says um, in the second step or third step promises uh, when it talks about um, how we were reborn on the top of uh, 63 so that to me you know that was one of those things I always use as an out you know like I don't see people coming back from the dead but here is like you know, the real, you see it in AA all the time, people being brought back from the dead. So I think that's a lesson I'm supposed to learn there. Hi. Um, Bill wasn't interested in becoming a church member, becoming an Oxford group corner sign holder, saving the world. He just wanted to maybe learn how to drink normally or never feel this way again. And this is Bill's moment of aha. He's blah, 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 you know, this, 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 all this Oxford stuff. And he just realized, here I am, Bill, sitting here in my dead uncle's, you know, wife beater tank top, the pants that are held up maybe by an electrical cord because I don't have a belt, and I'm wearing floppy broken shoes. And here's Ebby across from me, fresh-skinned and glowing. Who am I to sit? You know, I, I think Ebby just wanted to, like, reach across the table a couple times and just give Bill a couple bitch slaps. Like, dude, <laughs> I have a solution here for you. And I think this is where Bill bitch slapped himself a little bit. He's like, whoa. Had this occurred? No. Because he, he knew what Ebby was. Ebby was a bigger drinker than him. And for Ebby to be like that, it, it finally hit him. This is what I like to think of as Bill's second step. He came to believe that the power greater than himself could restore him to sanity. Oh, but not the one that you're pushing, Ebby. <laughs> this is where he, he, he ends up kicking Ebby out of the house, you know, because enough of this hallelujah gives yourself the him stuff. But <laughs> the seed had been planted. And, and we're going to find out a little later on that Ebby was kind enough to just sort of like drop the whole, this conception and come up with your own conception. But the, had this power created in Ebby? Obviously not. There's no more power in him than there was in me at that moment. Second step, came to believe that a part of great in ourselves could restore us to sand, which is all Bill wanted. Thanks. Yeah, he That's got sure. that hope, real life in front of him. Anybody else been taken from the scrap heap to a level of living better than the best you'd ever known? That's a pretty, that's a pretty big promise, right? That's like better than, <laughs> yeah, we got a hand back here. Jeff, recovered alcoholic. What up, Jeff? You know our traditions have a short form and a long form? Well, what we just read is a long form, and here's a short form of everything we just read. One night, when confined in a hospital, he was approached by an alcoholic who had known a spiritual experience. Our friend's gorge rose as he bitterly cried out. If there is a God, he certainly hasn't done anything for me. But later, alone in his room, he asked himself this question. Is it possible that all the religious people I have known are wrong? While pondering this question, he felt as though he lived in hell. Then, like a thunderbolt, a great thought came. It crowded out all else. Who are you to say there is no God? 
this is like the single most important mm. thing um, I read like when I was first getting sober because like I was that person like violently against you know all types of religion but like who is, who is Jeff and to say that like I know everything and that everybody else who has these beliefs in God no matter it's Christian Muslim or, or any other type of thing for me to say that they're not that that's not real and it allowed me to like start my journey to tap into to that source and uh, all of that just kind of reminded me of this this was uh, page 56 in uh, We Agnostics but that was that was my flipping point when I was reading through the book thanks for sure I definitely relate to that alright shall we wrap it up put a bow on it let's, let's do it uh, from a vision for you let's all thank Kelly for being a wonderful reader <laughs> From a vision for you, page 164, God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order, but you obviously cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. It is the practice of the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group to, for group members or anyone here in attendance tonight, uh, sponsors to introduce their new sponsees by presenting them with a sponsorship medallion. Would anyone like to introduce a new member to the group? Embarrass them a little bit? All right. Bring two next week. Is anybody celebrating a year or more of sobriety who would like a medallion? I know somebody. Who is that? I don't know. Okay. We got somebody. Celebrant. Hi, I'm a recovered alcoholic. Hi, Mike Chase. There it is. Thank you. Hi, I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Mike Chase. What's up, Mike Chase? I was sitting at uh, First First Lutheran Church maybe five years ago, was it? Three or four or five years four. ago? Four. Four years ago, and uh, there's this... Very good-looking, balding gentleman in the back who had started showing up to our meeting and started sharing, and he was spitting out God. He was spitting out knowledge, and he had a program, and I knew this guy was a, was a winner, and how can we keep him around? Ended up sponsoring him for a while, and uh, he's got seven years. His name's Rob. If you guys don't know him, get to know him. If you've got children or plan to have children or might have children accidentally, talk to this guy. He's got information <laughs> on how to raise a family Stay sober and bring people to God. Rob, seven years. Congratulations. Right. How did you do it? Thanks. My father-in-law gave me the shirt. Um, how did I do it? I am one of those people um, that came into Alcoholics Anonymous and loved it from the very first time I came in here. Um, I got hope the very first time I came into Alcoholics Anonymous, and I got plugged in with the people who were doing what they were supposed to do in Alcoholics Anonymous and reaching out to me, who was clearly sick. I don't know how they spotted me, um, but they could tell I was new, and they reached out their hand, and they were there. And I got hooked up with a guy who had a spiritual experience as a result of working the steps, and we got into the big book right away. You know, and, and we just followed the directions in the book, and they taught me, and they you know, guided me through this. And, and you know, as importantly as walking me through the book is he showed me how uh, to live these principles in his life by example, right? He showed me how we work these principles in our daily lives, and he taught me things like, 
You know, it's not what we do between the serenity prayer and the Lord's prayer that matters. It's what we do between the Lord's prayer and the serenity prayer and how we live our lives uh, by these principles, you know. And, and they taught me, you know, I can't stay uh, alive on the food that I ate yesterday or last week. And the same thing goes for my spiritual food, right? I have to continue this journey. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon, although we do want to get through the work quickly to get some relief so we can start helping the next guy. And, and that's what they said and taught me by example is that's how we stay sober and ensure immunity from alcohol is working with other alcoholics. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful thing to be a part of. And I'm so grateful for all the members that continue to stay here and show up and, and lead by example and, and help the newcomer that's still sick and suffering. And uh, it's not all sunshine and rainbows in life, you know, but uh, the people that came before me showed me how we go through this thing with some grace and dignity, and we don't have to drink, and we get to lead a pretty cool life. And when that cruddy stuff happens, we can share it with somebody else and, and uh, tell them how we got through it, you know, one day at a time, uh, relying on God and not human power. So uh, thank you, guys. Speaking of relying on human power, Ooh. got dizzy there. <laughs> 60 years old. I remember last week or the week before, a couple of people coming up to me telling me they got anniversaries coming up, and if I could medallion them. And I said, sure. Of course, we don't write that stuff down. I completely forgot. Um, this guy, I've, I've known him, I think, since he's been getting sober. Everybody in Alcoholics Anonymous has a role to play, a part to be, and the people to be. And um, some of the people are the quiet ones in the back that make stuff happen. Our job as a sponsor is to bring them through the steps, get them clear to a point where they can develop a relationship with God, give them a smack on the butt and say, now go work your life with God. And this gentleman surprises the diddly doos out of me. He's one of the sweetest, kindest, most godlike people. He just is continually in love. He's, he's the epitome of love and tolerance for people. He makes me feel like a real jerk because I'm so judgmental and he's so loving. And listen, if somebody needs somebody who is kind, considerate, loving, true, and honest, Mike S. back there, who's going to come up and tell us how he did it, is somebody you should talk to about sponsorship or at least as a friend. Because he's one of the nicest, most wonderful people I've ever met. Mike, tell us how you did it in about 38 seconds. Come on up. Mike S. <laughs> Four years, American. Ow. Oh, how'd you do it? All right, my name is Mike. Hey, Mike. Um, I don't really have too, too much to say other than, um, you know, when I came down here, I knew my way wasn't working and I had to do something different. So I, you know, looked for someone that could take me to, through the steps and show me a different way. And uh, through that process, I found God. And uh, I truly believed that I had nothing to do with it, and it was all God. Right. Is there anyone that is in need of a big book sponsor? You can raise your hand, or if you're too embarrassed... You can uh, see a group member that had their, their hands raised as a recovered alcoholic. If you'd like to become a member of this group, please join us after the meeting to fill out a membership card. Can all home group members raise your hands again? All right. We will see you right after this to help uh, reset up the room. And thanks for joining us tonight. We hope to see you next week or Thursday evening, which Thursday evening is the Alcoholics and God Step Series workshop starting at 715. It's downstairs in the Fellowship Hall. Are we still doing it downstairs? Mr. Mike Chase?
okay? And I got a, I'm looking at a flyer here. It says, Alcoholics and God Thursday Night Step Series Workshop featuring Doc H. from Hollandale, Florida. This starts January 2nd. The workshop is at 7.15, and that's going to be downstairs, I think. Awesome. Yes, tell your friends and enemies. And, and also, uh, some folks are recording Doc's. Doc's doing a big book study at the same time as us, pretty much. Awesome. Uh, right now. So. Can't wait to hear it. Very cool. Yeah, and if you can't make it in person, of course, these are always podcasts, so you can always uh, log in to alcoholicsandgod.org, and you will be able to listen there at your convenience. So uh, we do ask, uh, if you are a smoker, that you go far, far away to do that, like across Los Olas Boulevard, uh, and or, you know, wait until you're at least 75 feet from the front doors. There are people going in and out uh, that are not part of our fellowship and don't appreciate that. Uh, and some people in our fellowship don't either. So let's be respectful of everyone around us. Uh, if you are one of those vapey dragon people uh, and you're helping to break down and set up the room, you can use the balcony and do your quick little tokes or whatever you do and come on back. Um, but please be respectful and um, you know, try to keep it to the designated smoking areas. And we will close now, seated, with the Lord's Prayer. This meeting was brought to you by Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, and forgive us our those.
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go.
the light Count my blessings when I go to sleep at night And I dream now Yeah, I dream now And everything's alright <laughs> Oh, man Going on 10 years old, that song is. God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye. I think you know this one, don't you?
Yeah. 